Chapter 1, Part 1 of The Sea, Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril, and Heroism, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sea, Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril, and Heroism, Volume 1 by Frederick Wimper. Men of War, Part 1. If the reader should at any time find himself a visitor to the first naval port of Great Britain, which he need not be told is Portsmouth, he will find lying placidly in the noble harbor which is large enough to accommodate a whole fleet a vessel of modern antique appearance and evidently very carefully preserved. Should he happen to be there on October 21st, he would find the ship gaily decorated with wreaths of evergreen and flags, her appearance attracting to her side an unusual number of visitors and small boats from the shore nor will he be surprised at this when he learns that it is none other than the famous victory that carried nelson's flag on the sad but glorious day of trafalgar and went bravely through so many a storm of war and weather very little of the oft-shattered hulk of the original vessel remains it is true she has been so often renewed and patched and painted yet the lines and form of the old three-decker remain to show us what the flagship of hood and jervis and nelson was in general appearance she towers grandly out of the water making the few sailors and loiterers on deck look like marionettes mere miniature men and as our wherry approaches the entrance port we admire the really graceful lines of the planks diminishing in perspective the triple battery of formidable guns peeping from under the stout old ports which overshadowed them the enormous cables and spare anchors and the immensely thick masts heavy shrouds and rigging which she had in old times must have given an impression of solidity in this good old heart of oak which is wanting even in the strongest built iron vessel many a brave tar has lost his life on her but yet she is no coffin ship on board one notes the scrupulous order the absolute perfection of cleanliness and trimness the large guns and carriages alternating with the mess-tables of the crew and we should not think much of the man who could stand emotionless and unmoved over the spots still pointed out on the upper deck and cockpit below where nelson fell and nelson died on that memorable twenty-first off trafalgar bay he had embarked only five weeks before from the present resting-place of his brave old ship when enthusiastic crowds had pressed forward to bless and take one last look at england's preserver i had their hurrahs before said the poor shattered hero now i have their hearts and when three months later his body was brought home the sailors divided the leaden coffin into fragments as relics of st nelson as his gunner had termed him the victory was one of the largest ships of war of her day and generation she was rated for one hundred guns but really carried one hundred two and was classed first-rate with such ships as the royal sovereign and britannia both of a hundred carrying only two in excess of the brave old temeraire made still more famous by turner's great picture and the dreadnought which but a few years back was such a familiar feature of the reach of the thames in front of greenwich she was of two thousand one hundred sixty four tons burden and having been launched in seventeen sixty five is now a good one hundred twelve years of age her complement was eight hundred forty one men from the first she deserved her name and seemed destined to be associated with little else than success and triumph 
Nelson frequently complains in his journals of the unseaworthiness of many of his vessels, but this, his last flagship, was a veritable heart of oak, and endured all the tests that the warfare of the elements or of man could bring against her. The good ship of which we have spoken more particularly is now enjoying a well-earned repose after passing nearly unscathed through the very thick battles inscribed on the most brilliant page of our national history her part was in reality a very prominent one and a glance at a few of the engagements at which she was present may serve to show us what she and other ships like her were made of and what they were able to effect in naval warfare the victory had been built nearly thirty years when in seventeen ninety three she first came prominently to the front at the occupation and subsequent siege of toulon as the flagship of lord hood then in command of a large fleet destined for the mediterranean france was at that moment in a very revolutionary condition but in toulon there was a strong feeling of loyalty for the bourbons and monarchical institutions in the harbor a large french fleet was assembled some seventeen vessels of the line besides many other smaller craft while several large ships of war were refitting and building the whole under the command of the comte de Trogoff, an ardent royalist on the appearance of the british fleet in the offing two commissioners came out to the flagship the victory to treat for the conditional surrender of the port and shipping the government had not miscalculated the disaffection existing and the negotiations being completely successful seventeen hundred of our soldiers sailors and marines were landed and shortly afterwards when a spanish fleet appeared an english governor and a spanish commandant were appointed while louis the seventeenth was proclaimed king but it is needless to say that the french republic strongly objected to all this and soon assembled a force numbering forty-five thousand men for the recapture of toulon the english and their royalist allies numbered under thirteen thousand and it became evident that the city must be evacuated although not until it should be half destroyed the important service of destroying the ships and magazines had been mainly entrusted to captain sir sidney smith who performed his difficult task with wonderful precision and order and without the loss of one man shots and shells were plunged into the very arsenal and trains were laid up to the magazines and storehouses a fire-ship was towed into the basin and in a few hours gave out flames and shot accompanied by terrible explosions the spanish admiral had undertaken the destruction of the shipping in the basin and to scuttle two powder vessels but his men in their flurry managed to ignite one of them in place of sinking it and the explosion which occurred can be better imagined than described the explosion shook the union gunboat to pieces killing the commander and three of the crew and a second boat was blown into the air but her crew were miraculously saved having completed the destruction of the arsenal sir sidney proceeded towards the basin in front of the town across which a boom had been laid where he and his men were received with such volleys of musketry that they turned their attention in another direction in the inner road were lying two large seventy-four gun ships the eros and themistical filled with french prisoners 
Although the latter were greatly superior to the attacking force, they were so terrified that they agreed to be removed and landed in a place of safety, after which the ships were destroyed by fire. Having done all that man could do, they were preparing to return when the second powder vessel, which should only have been scuttled by the Spaniards, exploded. Wonderful to relate, although the little swallow, Sir Sidney's tender, and three boats were in the midst of the falling timbers, and nearly swamped by the waves produced, they escaped in safety nowadays torpedoes would settle the business of blowing up vessels of the kind in a much safer and surer manner the evacuation was effected without loss nearly fifteen thousand toulonese refugees men women and children being taken on board for removal to england fifteen french ships of war were taken off as prizes while the magazines storehouses and shipping were destroyed by fire the total number of vessels taken or burned by the british was eighteen of the line nine frigates and eleven corvettes and would have been much greater but for the blundering or treachery of the spaniards and the pusillanimous flight of the neapolitans thus the victory was the silent witness of an almost bloodless success so far as our forces were concerned in spite of the noise and smoke and flame by which it was accompanied a little later she was engaged in the siege of bastia corsica which was taken by naval force numbering about one-fourth of their opponents and again at calvi where nelson lost an eye and helped to gain the day in the spring of seventeen ninety five she was again in the mediterranean and for once was engaged in what had been described as a miserable action although the action or want thereof was all on the part of a vice-admiral who as nelson said took things too coolly twenty-three british line of battleships whilst engaging off the yeres isles only seventeen french with the certainty of triumphant results if not indeed of the complete annihilation of the enemy were signalled by admiral hotham to discontinue the fight the disgust of the commanders in general and nelson in particular can be well understood the only prize taken the alcide blew up with the loss of half her crew as if in very disgust at having surrendered and we can well believe that even the inanimate timbers of the victory and her consorts groaned as they were drawn off from the scene of action the fight off the Ieres must be inscribed in black but happily next to be recorded might be well written with letters of gold in the annals of our country although its glory was soon afterwards partially eclipsed by others still greater when sir john jervis hoisted his flag on board the victory it marked an epoch not merely in our career of conquest but also in the history of the navy as a navy jervis though then over sixty years of age was hale and hearty and if sometimes stern and severe as a disciplinarian should long be remembered as one who honestly and constantly strove to raise the character of the service to its highest condition of efficiency and he was brave as a lion as the spanish fleet loomed through the morning fog off cape st vincent it was found that cordova's force consisted of twenty-nine large men-of-war exclusive of a dozen thirty-four-gun frigates seventy transports and other vessels jervis was walking the quarter-deck as the successive reports were brought to him there are eighteen sail of the line sir john very well sir there are twenty sail sir john very well sir there are twenty-seven sail of the line sir john nearly double our own enough sir no more of that sir if there are fifty i'll go through them that's right sir john said hallowell his flag captain and a jolly good licking we'll give them the grand fleet of spain included six ships of one hundred twelve guns each and the flagship santissima trinidada a four-decker carrying one thirty 
There were besides 22 vessels of 80 and 74 guns. To this large force, Jervis could only oppose 15 vessels of the line, only two of which carried 100 guns, three of 98 guns, one of 90, and the remainder, with one exception, 74 each. Owing to gross mismanagement on the part of the Spaniards, their vessels were scattered about in all directions, and six of them were separated wholly from the main body. Neither could they rejoin it. The English vessels advanced in two lines, compactly and steadily, and as they neared the Spaniards were signaled from the victory to tack in succession. Nelson, on the captain, was in the rear of the line, and he perceived that the Spaniards were bearing up before the wind, either with the intention of trying to join their separated ships, or perhaps to avoid an engagement altogether. By disobeying the admiral's signal, he managed to run clear athwart the bows of the Spanish ships, and was soon engaged with the great Santissima Trinidada, four other of the larger vessels, and two smaller ones. Trowbridge and the Culloden immediately came to the support, and for nearly an hour the unequal contest continued, till the Blenheim passed between them and the enemy and gave them a little respite, pouring in her fire upon the Spaniards. One of the Spanish 74s struck, and Nelson thought that the Salvador of 112 guns struck also. Collingwood, wrote Nelson, disdaining the parade of taking possession of beaten enemies, most gallantly pushed up, with every sail set, to save his old friend and messmate, who was, to appearance, in a critical situation, for the captain was being peppered by five vessels of the enemy's fleet, and shortly afterwards was rendered absolutely incapable, not a sail, shroud, or rope left, with a topmast and steering wheel shot away. As Dr. Bennett sings, ringed round by five three-deckers she had fought through all the fight and now a log upon the waves she lay a glorious sight all crippled but still full of fight for still her broadsides roared still death and wounds fear and defeat into the dawn she poured two of nelson's antagonists were now nearly hors de combat one of them, the San Nicolas, in trying to escape from Collingwood's fire, having got foul of the San Josef. Nelson resolved in an instant to board and capture both, an unparalleled feat, which, however, was accomplished, although, to get at the San Josef, it seemed beyond a hope. Out then our admiral spoke, and well his words our blood could stir. In borders to the seventy-four, we'll make a bridge of her the bridge was soon taken but a steady fire of musketry was poured upon them from the san josef nelson directed his people to fire into their stern and sending for more boarders led the way up the main chains exclaiming westminster abbey or victory in a few moments the officers and crew surrendered and on the quarter-deck of a spanish first-rate he received the swords of the vanquished which he handed to william Fearney, one of his bargemen who tucked them with the greatest sang-froid in a perfect sheaf under his arms the victory came up at that moment and saluted the conquerors with hearty cheers it will be hardly necessary here to point out the altered circumstances of naval warfare at the present day a wooden vessel of the old type with large and numerous portholes and affording other opportunities for entering or climbing the sides is a very different affair to the modern smooth-walled iron vessel on which a fly would hardly get a foothold with few openings or weak points and where the grappling iron would be useless 
apart from this with heavy guns carrying with great accuracy and the facilities afforded by steam we shall seldom hear in the future of a fight at close quarters skillful maneuvering impossible with a sailing vessel will doubtless be more in vogue meantime the victory had not been idle in conjunction with two of the fleet she had succeeded in silencing the salvador del mundi a first rate of one hundred twelve guns when after the fight nelson went on board the victory sir john jervis took him to his arms and insisted that he should keep the sword taken from the spanish rear admiral when it was hinted during some private conversation that nelson's move was unauthorized jervis had to admit the fact but promised to forgive any such breach of orders accompanied with the same measure of success the battle had now lasted from noon and at five p m four spanish line-of-battle vessels had lowered their colors even the great santissima trinidada might have become a prize but for the return of the vessels which had been cut off from the fleet in the morning and which alone saved her her colors had been shot away and she had hoisted english colors in token of submission when the other ships came up and cordova reconsidered his step jervis did not think that his fleet was quite equal to a fresh conflict and the spaniards showed no desire to renew the fight they had lost on the four prizes alone two hundred sixty-one killed and three hundred forty-two wounded and in all probably nearly doubled the above the british loss was seventy-three killed and two hundred twenty-seven wounded of trafalgar and of nelson both day and man so intimately associated with our good ship what can yet be said or sung that has gone unsaid unsung how when he left portsmouth the crowds pressed forward to obtain one last look at their hero england's greatest hero and knelt down before him and blessed him as he passed that beautiful prayer indicted in his cabin may the great god whom i worship grant to my country and for the benefit of europe in general a great and glorious victory and may no misconduct in any one tarnish it and may humanity after victory be the predominant feature of the british fleet or the now historical signal which flew from the mizzen to gallant mast of that noble old ship and which has become one of the grand mottoes of our tongue are facts as familiar to every reader as household words the part played directly by the victory herself in the battle of trafalgar was second to none from the very first she received a raking fire from all sides which must have been indeed severe when we find the words exhorted from nelson this is too warm work to last long addressed to captain hardy at that moment fifty of his men were lying dead or wounded while the victory's mizzen mast and wheel were shot away and her sails hanging in ribbons to the terrible cannonading of the enemy nelson had not yet returned a shot he had determined to be in the very thick of the fight and was reserving his fire now it was that captain hardy represented to nelson the impracticability of passing through the enemy's line without running on board one of their ships he was coolly told to take his choice the victory was accordingly turned on board the redoutable the commander of which captain luca in a resolute endeavor to block the passage himself ran his bowsprit into the figurehead of the bouchantar and the two vessels became locked together 
Not many minutes later, Captain Harvey of the Temeraire, seeing the position of the victory with her two assailants, fell on board the Redoutable on the other side, so that these four ships formed as compact a tier as though moored together. The victory fired her middle and lower deck guns into the Redoutable, which returned the fire from her main deck, employing also musketry and brass pieces of larger size, with most destructive effects from the tops redoubtable they called her a curse upon her name twas from her tops the bullet that killed our hero came within a few minutes of lord nelson's fall several officers and about forty men were either killed or wounded from this source but a few minutes afterwards the redoutable fell on board the temeraire the french ship's bowsprit passing over the british ship now came one of the warmest episodes of the fight the crew of the temeraire lashed their vessels to their assailant ship and poured in a raking fire but the french captain having discovered that owing perhaps to the sympathy exhibited for the dying hero on board the victory and her excessive losses in men her quarter-deck was quite deserted now ordered an attempt at boarding the latter this cost our flagship the lives of captain adair and eighteen men but at the same moment the temeraire opened fire on the redoutable with such effect that captain lucas and two hundred men were themselves placed hors de combat in the contest we have been relating the coolness of the victory's men was signally evinced when the guns on the lower deck were run out their muzzles came in contact with the sides of the redoutable and now was seen an astounding spectacle knowing that there was danger of the french ship taking fire the firemen of each gun on board the british ship stood ready with a bucketful of water to dash into the hole made by the shot of his gun thus beautifully illustrating nelson's prayer that the british might be distinguished by humanity in victory less considerate than her antagonist the redoutable threw hand grenades from her tops which falling on board herself set fire to her and the flame communicated with the foresail of the temeraire and caught some ropes and canvas on the booms of the victory risking destruction of all but by immense exertions the fire was subdued in the british ships whose crews lent their assistance to extinguish the flames on board the redoutable by throwing buckets of water upon her chains and forecastle setting aside for the purpose of clearness the episode of the taking of the fougot which got foul of the temeraire and speedily surrendered we find five minutes later the main and mizzen masts of the redoutable falling the former in such a way across the temeraire that it formed a bridge over which the boarding party passed and took quiet possession captain lucas had so stoutly defended his flag that out of a crew of six hundred forty three only one hundred twenty three were in a condition to continue to fight five hundred twenty two were lying killed or wounded the bouchantard soon met her fate after being defended with nearly equal bravery the french admiral villeneuve who was on board said bitterly just before surrendering la bouchantard a rempli sa tache la mienne n'est pas encore achevée let the reader remember that the above are but a few episodes of the most complete and glorious victory ever obtained in naval warfare without the loss of one single vessel to the conqueror more than half the ships of the enemy were captured or destroyed while the remainder escaped into harbor to rot in utter uselessness twenty-one vessels were lost forever to france and spain it is to be hoped and believed that no such contest will ever again be needed but should it be needed it will have to be fought by very different means 
the instance of four great ships locked together dealing death and destruction to each other has never been paralleled imagine that seething fighting dying mass of humanity with all the horrible concomitants of deafening noise and blinding smoke and flashing fire it is not likely ever to occur in modern warfare the commanders of steam vessels of all classes will be more likely to fight it outmaneuvering and shelling each other than to come to close quarters which would generally mean blowing up together it would be interesting to consider how nelson would have acted with and opposed to steam frigates and ironclads he would no doubt have been as courageous and far-seeing and rapid in action as ever but hardly as reckless or even daring and still through seventy years boys have gone who without pride names his name tells his fame who at trafalgar died may we always have a nelson in the hour of national need end of men of war part one recording by pete mckelvin